Yeah, welcome to the no longer lively and engaging, but monotonous and Scottish podcast. <laughs> Hi there, and welcome to the weekly economics podcast brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. My name's Ross Haig, and I'm filling in this week for the infinitely more talented Christy Stiles. Today, I'm going to be joined by our regular guest, James Midway, Senior Economist at the New Economics Foundation, to talk about everyone's favourite date with a red briefcase, the budget. I now call the Right Honourable George Osborne, the Chancellor of the Exchequer. We have a job to do and we're here to get on with it. This will be a budget for working people. The British economy I report on today is fundamentally stronger than it was five years ago. We should cut the deficit at the same pace as we did in the last Parliament. Britain has turned a corner and left the age of irresponsibility behind. Britain deserves a pay rise and Britain is getting a pay rise. I am today introducing a new national living wage. A plan for working people, one purpose, one policy, one nation. So James, last week George Osborne delivered what I think might be his seventh budget as Chancellor, Uh, but I can't be the only one, surely, with a serious case of deja vu. Why another one, and why so soon? Yeah, why another one this year? Well, I think it's because he he won the election, or rather the Conservatives won the election, formed a majority government and and had this golden opportunity to implement whatever they, as a party, felt like implementing without having to discuss even minimally with their uh, former coalition partners, the the Liberal Democrats, and they're reduced to a sort of slightly tragic state of having eight MPs. So that, I think, is the reason he wants to move quickly on this, that it's a small majority, that he has quite big plans for what should be happening over the next five years. And this is a good opportunity to kind of set the pace uh, for how this government's going to proceed over the next five years it expects to be in office. So for those who've maybe missed the story so far, how would you sum up the Chancellor's approach to date? I suppose you'd call it Osbornomics and in a sentence. Well, it might be more than uh, one sentence. Formally, what what the Chancellor's done is applied very, very tight fiscal policies. That means big spending cuts, some tax increases, basically a reduction in the impact directly of the government on the rest of the economy. And at the same time, he's had this very, very loose uh, monetary policy, so very, very low interest rates. He hasn't wound in uh, quantitative easing. There's nothing like that that's happened. So he's had those two things working together. The tight fiscal policy squeezes demand, the loose money uh, policy, hopefully an idea ideally kind of boost demand back up again. So that's the balance of, of how things worked out over the last five years or so. Um, more particularly in that, it's not really about economics at all, I suspect, with George Osborne. A lot of this is about politics and it's about playing for a kind of way of shaping how politics will operate in Britain rather more than it is about shaping how the economy uh, will operate. That You could see this, uh, I think, this time very clearly in this budget, that what the Chancellor seems to have in his head as a vision of how the economy and society will operate is one in which the centre ground of British politics favours low tax, low welfare spending and the way he's going to get there is gradually move large numbers of people out of any reliance or expectation that the state will give them any money either because they're employed by the state or because they're getting money from the state and into a situation where they're just reliant on what the private sector can deliver and that seems to be his long-term vision of how politics will operate here. So it sounds like business as usual then last week 
Um, before the before the budget, there was quite a lot of talk about these 12 billion in new cuts, going to be really bad, really severe cuts. Was it all as bad as we were expecting or were there any surprises? Well, there's a couple of parts of that. The first one is the, the welfare cuts that have gone in. We can talk about those in a bit. The welfare cuts that have gone in much as anticipated. Uh, the other part is there's been a slight easing off on the kind of timing and pace of when these cuts were going to happen. The original projections from back in March uh, and going back to November last year was really that the first few years from 2016, 17 through to 2018 or so would be very, very severe spending cuts, very, very sharp spending cuts indeed, followed by kind of a flattening of, of uh, spending of spending cuts as we come up to the next election due in 2020. What George Osborne has done instead is first moved when he expects the whole government to be back in surplus again, when he expects them to be getting more in taxes and their spending. So he's moved that by a year into the future. And he's kind of smoothed the pace at which the cuts will go through over the years up to 2019, 2020. So it's basically a kind of slightly slower pace than we're anticipating in the cuts. The cuts are still there. The cuts are still happening. It's just a slowdown in what they were doing and some reduction in the total volume of cuts that we expect at the end. One particularly exciting moment of the speech, well, at least if you are Ian Duncan Smith, was the announcement of a new national living wage. It sounds like a good thing, is it? Well, it ought to be a good thing. Uh, Ian Duncan Smith does seem particularly uh, pleased with this. It ought to be a good thing. And, and George Osborne, uh, like the song Save the Best for Last, I mean, it's a singularly hideous uh, you know, ballad that I'm thinking of there. Last and pulled the, the proverbial rabbit from the hats in saying that there would now be a national living wage of uh, £7.20 an hour applicable to those over the age of 25. Uh, as is typical with this government, it's the young who, who tend to lose out on the various measures. Because, of course, also students are now going to be expected to have to borrow money rather than receive any sort of grants for their education. So the, he pulls this out of the hat, says it's a living wage of £7.20 an hour. This misses out the slight detail that the living wage level has set by the Living Wage Foundation based on what people would be earning if they expect to have a kind of minimally decent standard of living in this country is nationally is about £7.85 an hour. And if you're in London, where it's very expensive, it's about £9.15 an hour. So the level that he's talking about is not a living wage level. This is a branding exercise on what amounts to an increase uh, in the national minimum wage. A living wage but not a living wage. Well, it's a living wage you can't really live on, is, is what we've amounted to, what we've uh, got out of this. So that's a kind of fairly typical bit of, of Osborne's spin. Good stuff. Well, I've got to give you your full credit, James. You have actually poured all your way through the budget bump, the various documents that come out with it. So having looked through it, can you tell us who is actually really gaining and who is losing out from the budget? Well, there's, there's something here. I mean, obviously, the presentation that they want is that we're going to a high wage, low tax, low welfare economy. So we're getting rid of or cutting back on uh, things like, well, principally tax credits and, and some changes to child benefits and a few other uh, benefit payments uh, around that. So we're getting rid of this part. But at the same time, everybody's going to get more money because we have this uh, national living wage that, of course, isn't actually a living wage. But nonetheless, everyone's going to be paid more. So the presentation is we're going to get a high wage, low tax, low welfare economy. The reality, uh, if you look through it, and, and the Institute for Fiscal Studies uh, have done, you know, process the numbers and come up with their analysis of what's going to happen as a result of all these changes, is that the tax and benefits changes will hit the poorest in Britain very, very much harder uh, than the richest. It's a completely regressive uh, budget. If you're in the poorest 20%, you're going to be, on average, losing uh, about a thousand, over a thousand 
£1,000 a year. If you're in the sort of top 90%, you're going to be gaining, uh, it looks like, about £100 a year. So it's a very, very regressive. It's hitting poorer people more than it's hitting richer people is the outcome of the budget. And of course, the increase in the in the minimum wage, which is what this so-called national living wage uh, amounts to, doesn't compensate for that. The Office of Budget Responsibility says the increased wage bill from increasing the minimum wage like this will be another £4 billion a year. At the same time, the loss in tax credits is £5.8 billion a year. So it's very obvious that the increase in the minimum wage, this so-called national living wage, will not compensate for loss of tax credits. So in other words, it's a deeply regressive budget. The poorer you are, basically, the more you're going to lose out. You'll lose out particularly if you, if you have children. That's the way that the impacts of this one is playing out at the minute. I think if you were, as I often like to, playing around a George Osborne bingo, as with previous years, within about five minutes, the first one to go is debt and living within our means and cutting the debt. We shouldn't go faster, we shouldn't go slower. At this pace, the national debt is lower as a share of our national income in every future year than when I presented the budget in March. And it is Osborne is now saying that he has it all mostly under control. So we can relax then? Well, this is kind of nonsense. It's been nonsense from the start. Look, the issue with the government is um, that it's trying to shrink its deficit, right? This is the gap between what it gets in taxes and what it spends. So that's the gap between the two things is the deficit. And it's been trying and trying and trying. And this is why we're doing austerity to shrink this thing. It thought it'd get rid of it over the last parliament. It failed entirely uh, to do that. So we stretched the whole process on to try and get rid of it and turn it into a surplus, government spending into a surplus uh, over this parliament. Um, that's the target that they set. I I think it's highly likely. In fact, I'll put money on it. I don't think they're going to hit that target. But nonetheless, that's what they're trying to do. The trouble is that as the government is trying to shrink its uh, borrowing, that's what the, the deficit amounts to, it's trying to shrink its borrowing over here, in order for the economy to keep on chugging along when the government is reducing its spending, when it's hacking away at its spending like this, somebody else has to spend more to compensate. And that somebody else, in practice, means people in the private sector, which means households, which means you or I. But the trouble with us having to go out and spend more to compensate for government spending loss is that we don't really have the money to do that, so we have to borrow more and more. And you can see it in the government's own forecasts from the Office Budget Responsibility in the document they release with the main uh, budget papers. There's this dramatic chart which shows yet again that what they expect to happen is that household debt will go through the roof, will reach record levels far in excess of what household de debt had hit in 2007-2008, just before the crash. And that is a direct result of the government trying to apply austerity. That because the government's cutting its spending, households have to spend more, which means they're having to borrow more. And they're having to borrow more and more and more, running into the future as the austerity measures play out. Now, this is risky. The more debt you have relative to the amount you're earning, the more likely it is that you're going to fail to pay some of that and that you're going to end up at some point down the line with something like a debt crisis similar to 2007-2008. So we should be not relaxed then, is the conclusion. Well, it's yes, I, I think I'd say that being relaxed when you're looking at quite significant losses in income for very large numbers of people, when you're looking at household debt hitting record levels, when you realise that things like the current account deficit and Britain's general uh, fragility of its, its financial system in particular, uh, when you look at the rest of the world and the events that are taking place there, no, I don't think this is a time to relax. You know, despite the titling of this as a summer budget, I think it's fair to say that winter is coming. <laughs> Well, I don't know about you, I'm just about budgeted out for another year. I guess I'll see you in November for the autumn statement. Thank you, James. Thank you.
Music for the Weekly Economics Podcast is by Poddington Bear. Next week, Christy will be back with the third in our mini-series on neoliberalism. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org. Have you had any fun Twitter spats with anyone? No, not recently. Not recently. Mm. No, 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 maybe I'll go and start some when I get out. Maybe I'll go and pick fights with eminent people. Yeah, preferably not important journalists, but... Uh, I'll, I'll pick some economists that no one's heard of. How about that? That's usually safe, isn't it? That's fine. There are too many of them as it is. Yeah.